we have uh, Pastor John Southwick uh, and his better three quarters with her with him, and uh, met John. Um, how many years ago now? God, it's, it's yeah. I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. Um, he uh, he had also uh, had come to see the transformation videos, the Sentinel Group. He actually gone be able to go to on a fire tour or two. I don't know, one or two, but just one, which is going to places where revival has 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 been happening. And this was in Kentucky and. And so, and, and we just kind of started connecting, and of course, then um, he ends up in Chewila for three, five years, three years, three and a half years. And the interesting thing, he's a um, United Methodist Church, been there for forever, right? And uh, he's a, he, it was a anomaly in many ways, spirit-filled and wants revival. And, uh, and yet, at the same time, in... Um, the United Methodists have um, what's that? What's that called? Back in um, once a year, right about September, it's the um, New Room Conference. The New Room Conference is is predominantly Wesleyans and Methodists who gather because they're ca- they're calling on God for revival. Three thousand of them gather in this place over there. That's another great thing, but. But uh, but Pastor John, he he was uh, up in Chile at the um, Free Methodist Church, Abundant Life, for several years. But he comes wherever you wherever you're at, John, you come and you you, you join us here in Deer Park when we pastors pray together. And um, he's really got a heart uh, and and really gets gets it as sometimes we say that um, we recognize the only hope is God showing up in His church. And we recognize that's not a celebrity, that's not a program. It truly is where the Holy Spirit descends upon his people and does a work that we've only, we've only read about, most of us. But we don't want to just read about it. We want to know, we want to know it, amen? And so, and so John is also part of the leadership of Spokane Praise that puts on, um, sponsored this um, uh, 12 Hours Prayer again and, and that. And um, I just really appreciate um, you, John, um, and uh, you've got that same heart, and so we're brothers of a different mother, right, or something like that. So why don't we welcome Pastor John as he comes and speaks. Right? Uh, thanks, Pastor Tim. Uh, as he said, we're we're kindred spirits, and uh, it's just great. I don't uh, often go into a, a church and have the pastor pray like your pastor prayed during the worship time, with the emphasis on those particular songs and, and what they say. And so, it's it's a real blessing to be in this place. I'm, I'm no longer a United Methodist pastor. I have left that denomination, but uh, I'm still in the Methodist fold. And if I'm true to my roots in terms of the ancient history, so to speak, of the Methodist, then I would be a revival person. I would have to be, because that is how that movement started, as a revival movement. Anyway, uh, so refreshing to be in a church that's willing to talk about issues of the day and face them and address them and preach about them. And so I'm going to do that. I love the opportunity to be in a place where that's welcome. It's surprising how many Bible-believing churches don't want to talk about anything other than the particular series they're going through at the moment. Even if the world blows up, they won't talk about that because, you know, they're doing their series, and it's just that that's what we do. And, well, the world is blowing up, (laughs) and uh, I think we need to talk about it, so I'm going to do that. Now, just recently, even though I'm retired, I had an opportunity to be an interim pastor, that means short term, uh, for a church that was between pastors, 
And so I had a bunch of sermons, you know, that, that I'd come up with recently. And so I saw Pastor Tim no less than twice so far this week, before this morning. And... Uh, found out he'd had quite a week, and so I said, well, if you want a break on Sunday, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be glad to help you out. And so I pulled something out of the, the drawer from what I had done recently. Now, in this uh, church where I just was, it was actually called Patriot Church, believe it or not. And so there was a great deal of freedom there to address issues that affect us as Americans. And uh, so I did. And when I started there, I started in Genesis. Why did I start in Genesis. Because so many of the issues of the day are addressed way back in Genesis. I mean, in the beginning, God created. I'm not going to do all the sermons I did. Just briefly mention a couple of the topics. Well, you know, the creation, that's a big deal. Because if you don't believe in a creator God, then all you have left is evolution. And that kills everything. It just, you know, deprives human beings of any kind of meaning and dignity. And while you're at it, you lose track of what it means to be a human. God made them male and female. Does that make a difference these days in discussion of current issues? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, and then it talks about marriage. How a man will leave his father and, and mother and, and, and take unto himself a wife, and, and it's male and female. That's marriage. That's the only way that it is. And you know, all the way through Genesis, you see a foundation laid for the very issues that are troubling our society today. Well, I'm going to skip over quite a few chapters in Genesis and get up to chapter 12, because chapter 12, I believe, is very important and foundational to understanding an enormous issue our society is facing today. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, there's a reference there to a land that God was going to take Abram to. Um, that land is in the headlines today in a big way. And it starts way back in Genesis 12. And so what we see here is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. This is the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. Before I even got a call to ministry, and I was a young Christian, I was attending a, a, a church in Minneapolis where I lived at the time, and uh, my roommate was going to a different church. It was a big mega church kind of thing. And they had the resources to put on classes for laity where they could afford to fly in a seminary teacher from a seminary in a different part of the country to come in one night a week to teach a seminary level class for lay people. And I thought, that's really interesting. So I signed up for one of those and uh, this professor came in and in the, I don't remember a lot of what he said. After all, it was 40 years ago or something. But um, I remember distinctly that he said that in his seminary, when they give students a final exam, one of the things they will ask is uh, about what is one of the most important foundations uh, in all of the Bible for the rest of the Bible. And uh, the answer was the Abrahamic covenant. And that's what we see being described here. In chapter 12, it appears in subsequent chapters as well. It kind of builds, but the, the, the beginning emphasis on it is right here in chapter 12. And I just read the passage, and God shows up to Abraham. Abram at that time was his name, and, and talked to him, which is kind of cool. I mean, uh, it be a whole other sermon on does God still talk to people today? A lot of people who believe the Bible is true say, no, it got stopped. Uh, Sad. Anyway, God still speaks to people. But here we see him clearly speaking to Abram in some of the most important words that, that he has spoken because they form such a foundation for everything else. Go from your country. You know, I love how this is described in Hebrews chapter 11. That's the great honor roll of faith, and it lists all these Old Testament people who did all these great things for God, and they did them by faith. And when, it, when the, that passage in Hebrews 11 mentions Abraham, 
It says, he went out not knowing whither he was going. That's in the King James. Not knowing whither. You probably don't use that word every day, but I think it's pretty cool. He didn't know whither. That means he didn't know where he was going. That's all that means. But uh, he was a man of faith. That's a whole other sermon, uh, how he obeyed God and did that, even though he didn't know where he was going. But he did it. And then I will show you a land. But in a few more verses, we'll talk more about that. But he says three parts to this covenant. And covenant is kind of like a contract, only it's much more binding, much more significant, uh, especially if God's the one that's doing it. And this is a covenant, an agreement between God and a group of people that would be in effect forever. That's when he identified a certain people out of all the people that were to be his people. And he's saying that here. And of course, and when Jesus came along, he abridged the covenant so that we can be included in it, even though we aren't part of that historic people group. But he says, I will show you, show you the land. Verse 2, I will make a great nation out of you. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So we have two promises there. One, he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. In other words, out of Abraham's descendants will come a massive number of people. And when you continue to read through Genesis, God shows up again and again several different times. Uh, chapter 13, again chapter 15, then again chapter 17, all, all related to this covenant thing that, that he's doing right here and reinforces these statements. But he says that you know, in subsequent verses that the number of your descendants will be like the numbers of the grains of sand on the seashore, like the number of stars in the sky. In other words, lots. And, uh, of course, the remarkable thing is that um, that is still an identifiable people group after over, well, something like 4,000 years since he talked to Abraham. Uh, we can still identify that particular people group and those descendants. And there have been literally millions of them, six million of them got obliterated at one time, of course, during the Holocaust. And there are many millions more, obviously, that are still alive and millions have lived over the centuries in between. And so a lot of people have come out of the descendants of Abraham. And of course, you know the great story about how he couldn't have a, you know, his wife couldn't have a son and, and then they had one, and then he was told to offer it up in chapter 22 of Genesis, and then God came at the very end and provided the lamb, and, and so, uh, his son finally was able to go on. He only had two sons, and uh, one of those was the one that, where things really started to take off. Of course, that was Jacob. That was Abraham's grandson, and, and then he had the 12 sons, and then once you get 12 going and they start multiplying, then then the numbers can come. But God said, I will make of you a great nation. And then uh, he said that that nation would be blessed and would be a blessing. And you might ask, how, how is the Jewish uh, people a blessing to us today? Well, there are any number of ways. For one, one of them was named Jesus. And so... That's kind of a blessing. Uh, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus. Uh, yeah, so Jesus, yeah, yeah, that's a blessing. And uh, also, um, Israel exists once again. That's an amazing story. I'll get to that a little later. But it's a real blessing for us to be able to go back to where it all started, to go there and, and see and experience the land where... Jesus walked, where Abraham walked, where all the great heroes of the faith walked. And that's a real blessing to us as believers. And believe it or not, Israel is a, is a real blessing to the rest of the world, although a lot of the rest of the world doesn't feel that way at the moment. Um, again, we'll talk about that. But Israel is incredibly productive for a very small nation, about the size of New Jersey in terms of landmass. But they've got a lot of smart people doing smart things and developing great technologies that benefit all of mankind. And so that nation truly is a blessing. It's a blessing to Christians in particular. And so these promises were made to Abraham thousands of years ago. 
And then there's the third piece of it, and that's down a couple verses later in verse 7. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. I will give this land. And, of course, you know the story. Uh, they were just a small group of people, less than 70 or so, at the time that uh, the great famine came. And Joseph was already in Egypt. That would be Abraham's great-grandson. And you know how Joseph rose to power there and invited his family to come down and to be safe from the famine. And so they came down to Egypt. And unfortunately, they got stuck there for over 400 years and ended up being slaves to Pharaoh. And, of course, the book of Exodus chronicles how God intervened in dramatic fashion, uh, remarkable fashion, supernatural fashion, to set them free. Then they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. It would have been more like 40 days if they hadn't been so disobedient. But... Um, ultimately, they arrived at the promised land. And it's called promised land because of this promise. And what we see as we go through Genesis is there's actually a description of it. Like in, in chapter 15 uh, of Genesis, God's talking to Abraham again. And on, in verse 18, it says, On that day God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Uh, those are a bunch of names that don't mean much to us, but those represented portions of land that were a part of this bigger parcel of land. And God promised that to them then. And so after the Exodus, they end up there. They end up in this promised land. And um, they got established, they grew, and of course, uh, many of the earlier parts, well, actually, through the, the whole Old Testament, tells of their existence in that land, how they had judges for a while, then they had kings, and some of the kings were good, and then the things split, and the northern kings were all bad, and eventually that land was overrun by the Assyrians, and then the southern land was better, but still they went really bad. And then they were all overrun by the Babylonians, 571 B.C. And uh, went into exile, came back 70 years later, rebuilt the temple, and kind of had an existence uh, on a marginal level up until the time of Jesus. And that time they were under Roman captivity. But they were still there. They were still in the land. Uh, it was their land. And it was known to be their land. And, of course, the remarkable thing that happened was that in 70 A.D., the Romans had had enough of the Jews, and they completely obliterated them or dispersed them, one of the two, and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple that Herod had built. And at that time, they were separated from their land. They did not have that same kind of presence, did not have that same kind of ownership. Uh, they went into exile, or what's sometimes called the diaspora, the dispersion. And the, the remarkable thing is that almost 2,000 years later, on May 14th, I remember that day well, because it's my birthday, although it was five years before I was born, in 1948, on May 14, Israel became a nation again. And the people were back in the land, officially recognized as a country and they adopted the name of Israel, like, like the land of old in Bible times. That's never happened in the course of human history, that a people group could be completely dispersed from their land, and 2,000 years later, come back with that same genetic line, be the same people group in terms of their bloodline, come back into a land, and once again, settle that land and govern that land and have that land be named after their ancient homeland. No, no other people group has ever had that kind of history. Uh, and that's because this covenant that God made with Abraham is an everlasting covenant. If we look in chapter 17 of Genesis again, it's yet another affirmation of the covenant we find in verse 7, God saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. 
and I will give to your land and to your I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Everlasting. Everlasting. No wonder they're back in it, because it was promised to them forever, and it still is. The problem right today, uh, I don't want to get too off track here, but the promise today is that there are a group of people in that part of the country, and they have a lot of people in agreement with them all over the world, who think that, no, they shouldn't be that there. That's not their land, that they stole that land. And that's the real motivation, you know, for groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and the Egyptian Brotherhood and the Palestinian Liberation Organization and dozens of other terrorist groups, not to mention governments of Arab countries that surround them, that believe that uh, that land was stolen from the Arabs and it's the rightful possession of the Arabs, the Muslims, and that Israel should be obliterated. They should be totally annihilated. They should be pushed back into the Mediterranean Sea and exist no more, and the land should be restored to the Muslims, the Arabs, because they feel like it's their land and Israel has no right to it. You wonder why there are hostilities over there today? You have to go all the way back to Bible times. That's the foundation for those hostilities. The Jewish people believe that's their land because God told them it was. And these other hostiles disagree. And the, 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 the Arabs aren't just in disagreement. They are radically in disagreement. They are absolutely energized in disagreement. I've got a friend who uh, was a missionary in Bethlehem. Um, which is actually uh, in the territory occupied by the Palestinians, the Arabs, even though it's a historic Jewish site, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's right on the boundary between uh, Israel and uh, Palestinians. And anyway, this friend of mine married a Palestinian woman. She was a Christian. They're both Christians. And they were trying to raise their kids in Bethlehem, so they sent their little children to Palestinian school. And these little children came home singing the songs that they learned in school, which were all songs about how to hate Jews. Uh, that, that, that's the ethos of those places that surround Israel. They're totally radicalized from head to toe, top to bottom in society, to hate Jews and to believe that they should be obliterated. And uh, it's interesting that now that Israel is bombing Hamas, they're bombing Gaza. By the way, Gaza is right along the uh, Mediterranean Sea in an area that in the Old Testament was occupied by the Philistines. Ever heard of them? There are five Philistine lords, Ekron, Gaza was one of them, uh, Eshkelon, Ashdod, and I forgot one other. But anyway... So the ancient territory that was once Philippines, it seems like stuff stays in the soil. I don't know. Um, a lot of the Arabs live in what's called Samaria now, which was the same as Samaria of old. And that was uh, the northern kingdom that went, you know, rebelled against God after Solomon died. There, there's a whole bunch of history going on here. But back to my point, that the people uh, that are living right around Israel don't just dislike Israel. They are taught from a very young age to hate Jews and to see them killed. And that's their mission in life. And anyway, back to this point about bombing in Gaza. There's concern on the national stage that, oh my goodness, we're going to kill innocent civilians. I'm sure there are some innocent civilians, but the reality is that most of the civilians are this far away from being a terrorist themselves. They have exactly the same mindset, exactly the same motivation, exactly the same level of hatred. They just haven't taken the next step to go strap a bomb around themselves and you know, blow themselves up. They haven't quite gotten that far, but they are a radicalized group of people. 
Uh, there aren't many innocents in there. Yes, there are Christians. Yes, there are children. Yes, there are helpless, uh, you know, elderly who are hospitalized and those kinds of things. Uh, absolutely. But the rank and file in Gaza and these other areas surrounding uh, Israel hate Israel. That, that, that's the current reality. The hostilities go way back through Bible times. And we could go through the Old Testament and look at the enemies that were around them. Edom, for example, and uh, the Ammonites. And uh, just just look, look at the history of how the Arab nations were formed and how, how they came together and ultimately became Muslim and all of that. But th- there's a long history here. But what I really want to emphasize is that Israel has a legitimate claim to be there. God has promised them that. That's their place. And no, the the current Israeli government is not the same as the government when David was their king or when Solomon was their king or when any, even some of the bad kings were their kings. It's, it's not the same kind of government, obviously. They don't have a king and they don't have a, a unified religion. Um, modern Israel has a lot of Jewish people there who are not practicing the Jewish religion any more than uh, the atheist neighbor that you have. I mean, they, they, they're just not religious. Uh, also, there are a lot of Arabs that live in Israel, and most of them are pretty good citizens. Uh, I was in Israel about six years ago, and we heard from some of those. And it's remarkable how clear-thinking they are, even though they have family that are Palestinians, and, and they go there often, and all this kind of thing, that they can understand that they have a better life living in Israel than their friends who live in Palestine. That the, It's much safer and they have a much better opportunity to, to work and, and have a good education and, and all these things. I mean, so, so it's not exactly like it was in old times, but still the predominant people group in Israel today are Jewish people, and they're coming from all over. There's a Jewish term called aliyah, which means to, to make the migration from wherever you are to Israel. Now, I've been to Israel twice. Once was 40 years ago and once was six years ago. The population when I went there was, I don't know, a couple million. Now it's close to nine. And it's a very small parcel of land. But people keep immigrating. A lot of them are Russians. And so, you know, people wonder, what is Russia going to do about this? Is Russia the bad guys? Well, that'll be interesting to see. Because there's one thing about the the ruler of Russia, despite what else you might say about him, he loves his people. He loves his people, unlike some presidents of certain countries uh, who don't, but he loves his people, and there are a lot of Russians, Jewish Russians, living in Israel. And so, on the other hand, he's kind of in cahoots with Syria, which is an enemy, so this is weird. I don't know how that's going to play out, but um, it's not the same. But it's still God's people back in God's land with a whole lot of resemblance to what used to be. The boundaries aren't the same. Uh, and that's a whole other topic is the boundaries. But um, we still have the descendants of Abraham living in the land today. And the other thing um, is that this is really important prophetically. Much of the end times prophecy is centered right there. Now, we in America tend to think that we're in the middle of the universe. Um, not as far as Jesus coming back. We are definitely way off on the sidelines on that one. Uh, that's the Middle East. He's going to touch his foot down on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back to set up shop in Jerusalem when he returns. And so that's a whole other thing that is so significant about them being a, a nation right now, a recognizable nation. And I, I don't know all the politics over there. I know some because I've been there and been, I've learned some over the years and I've read books. But um, I do know that this current situation is really critical. This could blow up in an incredible number of ways that could affect us here and now. We're used in America to all wars being somewhere else and us kind of going on with our life as we always have. If this thing blows up, uh, it'll be coming to a theater near us, I'm afraid. Uh, and so it's really important to pay attention to what's going over there right now. Uh, 
And again, there's so much that we don't know. You know, we, we get the filtered news, and uh, there's a whole lot more going on. But what we can sort of discern is that when, in fact, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, actually gets boots on the ground and walks into Gaza, a whole bunch of other countries in the world are going to come unglued. And uh, that could have some real serious uh, impact. And even now, it's, it's remarkable how there, there must be some kind of end times delusion spirit uh, that's, that's everywhere. I mean, we can see this in our own country. How can anybody think it's okay to have the kind of medical procedures done to a child to change their gender? Uh, how, how did we suddenly think that's okay as, as a country? I mean, how, how does your mind even go there? It's just incomprehensible. And there's so many ways and, and, and instances of how there's just this delusion, this craziness, this absolute deranged kind of understanding of reality that seems to be taking place. And that's taking place with Israel as well. Around the world, people think the Palestinians are the good guys. They think that Israel is the oppressor, that they are just like South Africa was with their apartheid government oppressing the blacks, that the Israelis are these kind of mean, horrible people. And uh, the only reason that the poor, uh, suppressed people in Gaza would, would act up like they did is just that they're trying to get free of the shackles of this horrible country that's so mean to them. And that's the predominant view in so many parts of the world. It certainly is what our young people are being brainwashed to think when they go to college. Uh, college campuses have all these riots going on and protests supporting the Palestinians, supporting Hamas. It's just completely upside down. So we, we know we're living close to the end. and We can see this mind-warping delusion take over in so many people where they, where they just totally lose grip with reality. And Israel is part of that, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, the understanding of Israel amongst so many people is is completely upside down and backwards. Um, it's like they, they don't believe the Holocaust really happened. Like, uh, maybe that was, I don't know. I, I, I can't even get in the heads of the people who justify this sort of thing. So anyway, what do we do? What do we do in the face of all of this that's happening right now? Well, I think... One of the main cues that we can take is that promise that was given to Abraham that those who bless Israel, God will bless. I don't know about you, but I like blessings. I think blessings are pretty great. And if the Bible says, if you do this, you will get blessed, hey, that sounds like a good deal. And so how do we bless Israel? Well, first of all, and most obviously, we pray for them. A verse we see floating around a lot these days is uh, Psalm 122, verse 6. It simply says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be praying. We need to be warfare kind of praying, too. This is a spiritual warfare. There are entities in the spiritual realm that are aligned in this thing big time. We even see that in the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel was in exile in Babylon, but uh, he was praying to God and seeking an answer for something, and his answer was delayed. And when the angel finally showed up to uh, explain Daniel what, what he needed to know, the angel said that I was delayed because of the prince of Persia. Well, Persia is modern-day Iran. Persia in the Bible, geographically, is Iran. And uh, that prince was an angelic being on, on, in, in the devil's army, one of his high-ranking generals that was in charge of Persia. But Michael came to the rescue of this messenger angel from God, and uh, Michael is the prince of Israel. And so in the angelic realm, we have one of the strongest angelic beings kind of there guardian angel, so to speak, at, at the ultra-high spiritual level. And so there, there's a spiritual battle going on. And uh, our prayers make a difference at that level as well as on the ground level. Just keep that mind in mind while you're praying. Pray 
for the peace of Jerusalem. So that's the first thing we can do. Another thing that we can do is to um, understand the situation better. I've laid out a few things here today, but there are books you can get. There are things you can read. It's a complicated situation. It's complicated how Israel came into being as a modern nation at the time that it did. The factors that went into that which sprang out of the Second World War and uh, just how things had been rearranged in the First World War, and, you know, just political stuff that goes on. The British had a particular responsibility to decide what happened in the geography that includes modern-day Israel. And uh, they had a mandate, if you will, and, and that, that's a part of this whole thing, that there was no Arab government actually in existence in that place right now. Jordan had, had some claim, but a lot of it was just this kind of loose land that had been uh, kind of bandied back and forth through those the, the First and Second World Wars. And then the United Nations, newly formed, uh, made this pronouncement in '48 that, that you know this would be a people's a territory for for the Jews, and immediately all the Arabs around him uh, fought him. There was a war back then, and some boundaries were kind of developed based on that war. There's another war in '67. Uh, Israel was just about to be invaded on all sides by Arabs, and they so they struck first, and they end up actually taking more territory. Now that's disputed today. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of history here, and if we don't understand the history, it's hard to understand. What, what the core issues are. And so we can learn. We can learn. When, if, if someone gets in a discussion with us and says that Israel is just this you know, apartheid government, well, no. No, there's a big difference between what happened in South Africa when a colonizing country came in and, and took over where the blacks already were, you know, the, the, the Africans, the native Africans, and, uh, and then they bunched them into these special things. That's not how it happened at all in Israel. It wasn't some colonizing force coming in and, and conquering the Arabs and sticking them into these pens like Gaza has become. The only reason Gaza is so secure is because they have so many radicals that want to go blow up Israelis. and they want to, Israel wants to be secure. When I was there six years ago, I went to uh, Gaza border, basically. You could see it from where I was, and there's a little town there, uh, so the road, and it's in the news a lot. That was one of the first ones that these crazies, crazy Hamas people invaded. Um, it's very close to Gaza. And I saw a playground. We, we actually stopped. Our tour bus got off at this playground for kids right there in this, this small town, so the road. And um, I'll never forget, right in the playground, there was this thing that looked like a big caterpillar. Uh, it was probably about eight feet tall and about 20 or 30 feet long, and it painted like a caterpillar on the outside. Well, that was hardened concrete. That was a bomb shelter for children. And when the bomb sirens go off, if there are children playing in the playground, they know that they need to run inside that caterpillar to be protected from the bombs. That's the kind of environment that the Israelis lived in. They, so many of them have bomb shelters. That's just routine for them to have because... This happens, and it really happened about two weeks ago. Enormous. I mean, learn a little bit more about the history. Understand what's there to the best we can uh, so that we can talk about these things. Uh, Another thing we need to fight against in the church is something called replacement theology. Replacement theology is believed by a lot of Bible-believing Christians. And basically, replacement theology says that once Jesus came and established his church, that the church became the new Israel, and all the promises about Israel in the Old Testament apply to the church. And Israel is no longer anything. And believe it or not, that is rampant in a lot of churches today. And uh, that's just not correct. There are two trajectories. One of the Jewish people, which is still valid, that was an everlasting covenant that God made with Abraham for a people, a blessing, and a land. Three-part covenant. It's still in effect. It was everlasting. We're under a different covenant, which is connected to that one, but it's not the same. And in the end, of course, when Jesus comes back, uh, they'll be united. But... 
Um, so we need to have our theology right as well. We need to know our history. We need to be informed on this argument if we're going to engage people. And we need to have our theology be sound. Another thing that I was able to recommend a few weeks ago when I actually shared this with my other church, or the church I was with then, is uh, it's great to go there. Yeah, they, it's wonderful. It blesses Israel when we go there as tourists because that brings tourist income to their country. It uh, brings people in to see them and appreciate them and experience them. Now, that might not be possible for a while. I keep hearing of people who are scheduled to go who got canceled since the hostility started. I don't know what the future of that holds. And, of course, not everybody's in a position where they can just you know, go to Israel. It tends to cost quite a bit. But if that is available again, uh, I encourage you to pray about that. And who knows what kind of doors the Lord will open up. He opened up doors for me the second time where an organization wanted to have pastors go over there and, and not just experience the pilgrim kind of experience where you see the sites and, and learn about the history uh, from that perspective, but actually get educated on what the current realities were so that they can go back and be friends of Israel. We all need to be friends of Israel. They are very imperfect, and a lot of their government is godless. But... Uh, Nevertheless, we need to be their friend and support them and bless them in any way we can, despite their warts, and they have some. And so, a number of things to bless Israel. Main thing is pray, be educated, stand up for them, and uh, pray some more. This is a big deal, what's going on over there. Seems far away. Far away things haven't come here before. You know, our southern border's been wide open, and lots of people are coming in. They aren't just poor, underprivileged um, Latin Americans who are looking for a better life. There are a whole bunch of bad guys coming in. Uh, there are now sleeper cells all over our country. There already were. By sleeper cell, I mean terrorist groups who are in hiding, just waiting till someone calls them up and says, okay, do your thing. Go blow somebody up. Go blow up a church. Go, go do this. Go do that. And uh, once Israel goes into, into Gaza with boots on the ground, there will be a lot of these calls going out. You'll hear about increased rioting all over the place. You'll hear about bombings. You'll hear about burnings. Anti-Semitism will be going crazy. It's another thing we need to do is fight back against anti-Semitism. Stand up for the Jews. Uh, even though they can be obnoxious some of the time. Stand up for them. They're going to have a real rough ride here if hostilities increase. And, of course, we continue to pray for peace. Pray for the peace of Yerushalayim. I, I love um, Pastor Tim's emphasis that what we need today is for God to come and reorder things. We're in a situation that we can't fix, and only God can fix it. We are in desperate need of a mighty move of God. And Israel is in need, the Middle East is in need of a mighty move of God. I asked this missionary friend, well, what's it going to take to end the hostilities over there? And he said, Jesus will have to come back. It's just so deeply embedded that that's the only thing that can change it. Well, we can pray for that too. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you tell us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, so we're going to do that today. We uh, hardly understand what all is happening there in terms of all the complexity, all the factors, all the politics, all the ancient uh, sense of entitlement and ownership, all the... Uh, hostility that has been built up over centuries and more. Lord, but you do. You understand all of these things. And Lord, you, you alone, I believe, are able to actually resolve this with a minimal loss of life. And uh, 
we don't know what your plan is. We don't know how all this plays into the end times. We each have our interpretations of your word. So many of them vary from one to another. And Lord, we, we don't get it all, but help us, we pray, to have a better understanding, to be better able to pray, to be better able to talk to other people, to be better able to stand up for Israel, even when Israel is grieving your heart as well by, by making bad decisions. Lord, we, we pray that you would do a mighty work in that part of the world, that you would demonstrate yourself to be God, that you would bring peace where there can't possibly be any peace. Or at least, we pray, Lord, restore the kind of situation where there wasn't the, the killing, the, the fighting, the, the rockets, the bombs, uh, where there was a coexistence where people weren't dying it's not peace, but it's at least some degree of safety and security. And we do pray for that for Israel, that they would be secure. I know that's their driving force in all of this, is their feel, felt need to be secure. And we all feel that way. Lord, we want to be secure. We want to be secure here. We thank you for the great blessing we have had to live in a country that has had secure borders, except for a few incursions like 9-11 and now whatever's happening in the southern border. But, Lord, we have had relatively secure borders for all of our life experience and for our ancestors many generations back. We, we thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray that we would continue to have that security as well. We pray, Lord, for you to do a mighty work in the unseen realm where the fighting is going on that we aren't privy to, but we know that takes place. And we pray, Lord, that you'll dispatch your warring angels to that part of the world, that they will be doing a mighty work in the spiritual realm that will neutralize the evil's plans uh, on the ground amongst humanity. And Lord, we pray that uh, even as the times seem to be escalating around us in so many ways, and now this way, which could become very critical even in our lives in coming days, we pray, Lord, that we would grow deeper to you, that deeper with you, that you would become more and more real to us, that we would hear your voice, voice more clearly, that your word would speak to us more plainly as we study it, and we would have a sense of direction, we would have a sense of leading, that you would uh, tell us, just as you told Abraham, what to do and where to go, even if we don't know the ultimate destination. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who are ready to be used by you in whatever circumstances come upon us. We need you so much. Oh, I love some of those worship songs today. Oh, Lord, how we need you. We need you. We need you. So we continue to invite you to come and become more real to us. That We might become more submitted to you, more surrendered, more available for whatever you would do with us in these times that we live in. We thank you so much that we've read your book. We know how this ends. It may be bumpy getting there, but we rejoice that in the end you establish your kingdom here in totality, and we rejoice at that. Thank you for that ultimate destiny. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. Um, yeah. And get that picture, in fact, you might want to go into Daniel, find that part in Daniel where Daniel has, is praying. He's going on for three weeks. He, he's, he's, and then the angel visits him uh, says, Hey, I was, I've been trying to come to you for three weeks. But, and it, it gives us a window in, into what's happening in, this, in the spiritual realm, that you, our prayers, your prayers really do move, move heaven. In, it, it, if that's true, then the absence of prayers does, don't move a thing. That um, <clears throat> and that just because you prayed today and didn't see something happen by tonight doesn't mean that the heavens not being moved on, on your behalf, and, and and it's being moved not because of who you are but because of who He is. That we are His children and we come in, in the authority of Jesus' name, Amen. And then we present a request, right? And um, <clears throat> and so just persevere. And so same thing, you know. Um, that's why Pastor John and I, we see each other at, at prayer meetings, what we do. Thursday was our bi-twice-a-month 
pastor's prayer here in, in Deer Park. And then every Wednesday um, online, we're, we're praying together with a bunch of Spokane pastors. And then, but because we, we recognize that there's no other, I mean, it, you, we can't do our best until after we've prayed. I'll do all I can. Well, all I can do is pray. No, no, no. Pr- right? Prayer is the work that sets it up. So, so I mean, just be encouraged. We, as we were praying for you here, just believe that, that this morning, heaven has been moving on your behalf. And, and the enemy wants to come and he'll come and try to oppose things to, to one degree or another. But remember, greater is he that's in us and he that's in this world, right? And, um, and so the, the, the things that are concerning you, I know some of us have got some issues. Some have health issues, provision issues, relationships, whatever. But, but don't give up. Right, Luke eighteen one. He told the the parable of of the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge, so they would keep praying and don't give up. Why? Because you're you're moving heaven, and we got to call the the head of heaven Father. Well, that's pretty good, you know. So, anyway, so thank for that, and so and I just so I just hope I just would like us to fill this place. I'd like to see that. Uh, next Sunday night, um, and we just recognize, and we're not going to, we're not here to campaign against the devil on Halloween. Um, <clears throat> I'm not here to support it either, but, but at the same time, we're here. We say, God, we need you to move with power, right? And uh, joining our prayers with others. So I hope you can be part of that. So let's stand. I'll just pray, and we'll dismiss you, Lord. We uh, we just come to receive the word today, and we do. Uh, pray your blessing upon the on Israel. We pray, God, for wisdom and protection, Lord God, for the innocents, Father. That that there are that the handful, the small small minority of those who would be in Gaza, if they're still there, who uh, don't like Hamas. Uh, but but John is right, Pastor John is right that that most of them do, uh, un, unique to Gaza. Um, but God, you know where your people are, and you know who you're, and you're able to take care of them. And we pray your hand upon them. But we pray, God, that, that righteousness and truth would come out in Jesus' name in this, and and that um, the, the the wicked sources, of the, the the really the demonic um, ideology of Hamas and Hezbollah and others would be crushed, and you might get glory. That your people Israel would come to the point where they would turn. And face and turn to you, Lord, and find their true Messiah. And we just we just thank you, and we just um, pray your blessing upon us. Lead us and guide us that we might be doing what you need us to be doing in this day, for your glory, for your work, and the lost around us. In Jesus' name, Amen.